shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. Beautiful, powerful, the great Shema. From the book of Numbers. From the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. You, You know the scripture. It's spoken of by Jesus, by Jews, as the most important commandment of all. And how beautiful because... Is there any better place to place your love? A place where you know that you won't be double-crossed or let down. Because God is love. But here's the thing. Do you? Do I keep that commandment? Do you love God with all of your heart? I mean, come on, all of your heart. Have you ever broken the greatest commandment? Have you broken it today? Was your heart not only set on God, but also on something or someone else for an hour. Well, no one has kept that law. So here is the gospel, which means here is the good news. You have been set free released from the law as a means of your righteousness. So therefore, God is saying, you cannot love me with all of your heart. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, do you agape love me? Lord, you know that I like that I love you. And when we say the same thing, God says, do you understand you cannot love me with all of your heart? Then now I will love you with all of my heart. Put your confidence in that. Put your confidence not in your love for God, but in God's love for you. I love preaching grace. You know why? When you preach grace, life is imparted rather than death. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. We read in the Exodus account. They died as they were breaking the law. 
even while in the midst of it being given to Moses. But when grace is imparted, 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost. The law was given by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. I mean, look how personable even that phrase is, that verse. The law was given, but grace came. (laughs) Through the law, God gave us commandments. And if we keep those commandments, we will be blessed. We will have joy. We will live life to the fullest. If we keep those commandments, then those things will be ours. So God gave, through Moses, God gave the law. But through Jesus, God came to us. The law was given, but grace came. See, that's why I like to talk about grace. Because when you talk about grace... From the New Testament. When you talk about grace as it's alluded to in the old. When you talk about grace in comparing it with the law. It always brings you back to the feet of Jesus. Just like Mary sitting there. In her own house as Jesus was teaching. Not Mary, his mother, Mary, the sister of Lazarus. You just sit and you enjoy. And Jesus said to Martha, who was so busy and frustrated with Mary for sitting there, Martha, Martha, come on. Mary has chosen the better part even better than being busy for the Lord is appreciating the grace of Jesus Christ days they force you back under those covers lazy mornings they multiply Glory's waiting outside your window Wake on up from your slumber They open up your eyes Tongues are violent Personal and focused Tough to be with your steady mind Hearts are stronger and broken Wake on up from your slumber They open up your eyes the table just enough to get by all the while your invitation we on up from your slumber baby open up your eyes we on up from your slumber baby open up your eyes take from vans all Don't trade it in 
your fever with the fable. Wake on up from your slumber, baby. Open up your eyes. Wake on up from your slumber, baby. Open up your eyes. All these victims standing around for crumbs that fall from the table, just enough to give by. just my take but um why does the church so often tell us what to do not that it shouldn't there should be instruction and teaching but why does it feel to me at times that the church i mean the church globally or the church nationally why does it feel that it's always telling me what to do so much more than what Jesus has done? I mean, way more. If you go to church, you expect to be told what to do, not what Jesus has done. It feels like in my estimation. The fact is you take then you're able to give. You receive his love and then you're able to love others. Don't just tell folks, your kids, your spouse, the congregants, your employees. Don't just tell folks what they should do. You need to love your brother. You need to love and honor your wife, you need, okay, that's true, and it's in the New Testament, but that should be only after you establish to that person you are loved by God as much as he loves his own son, Jesus Christ, because you are in Jesus Christ.
It says that when Jesus multiplied those loaves of bread, the people ate of those loaves, and it says, quote, as much as they would, end quote. <laughs> Note, it does not say as much as he would, but as much as they would. And even then, there were still 12 baskets left over. God wants to bless us, but we limit him because we only take so much. Going back to that story that I alluded to last segment of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha was busy serving Jesus, which in the Middle East is not polite. It's not polite to sit at someone's feet like we might assume or think. No. In that context, in that culture, the woman, the hostess, the owner of the house needs to be serving their guests. That's why Martha was so upset. And she says to Jesus, don't you care? I'm busy serving you and my sister is sitting at your feet. And like her, maybe we can get angry with the Lord and with others, even so subtly, because it seems like that person doesn't deserve that blessing. They don't deserve that peace of mind right? You start comparing. And so she, Martha, was able somehow to blame two in one. She got a two for one deal. Lord, don't you care that my sister is just sitting there? She blames Jesus and she blames Mary. And there's nothing wrong with work. <laughs> you can re-emphasize that to your teenagers. There's nothing wrong with work. God created work even before the fall of mankind. It's the attitude, it's the spirit you have, Martha, looking down on others, on your sister. Nothing wrong with serving God, of course not. But don't use that as an occasion to look down on others. Because Martha's will always come to make you or I feel like we're spiritually lazy. Just because we don't serve like they think we should be serving. That has happened to me and to you, I guarantee. A subtle suggestion. You don't have your act together or you're not a first-rate Christian or... You guys at your church don't do things like we think you should. That's going to happen. It happens. But Jesus then says to Martha, Mary chose the good part. 
what was Mary doing? She wasn't ministering. She wasn't serving. She was just taking, enjoying Jesus. Now, that just goes to show you the frame of mind. Look at Martha saw Jesus as needing her ministry. I've got to be busy. Mary saw Jesus as not needing her ministry. Mary saw Jesus as some kind of supply of something to draw from. So Mary was worshiping, resting while Martha was working. And then when Jesus did need Mary the most, she anointed him a week before his burial. She did the right thing at the right time. So I'm not saying never do anything. I'm saying do the right thing at the right time. Okay, Pete. (laughs) Yeah, okay. How do I do that? Relax and enjoy the grace of Jesus. Just sit at his feet like Mary. Read his word. Take his body, his blood. Worship his name. You'll end up doing the right thing at the right time. I mean, how often do we say, do you hear from the church or Christians, just look to Jesus. That's good. This is what that means. Relax and enjoy trust in him. Look away from yourself. And enjoy the Lord Jesus. Remember Peter walking on that water? As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he became like Jesus, walking above the storm, above the waves. We are transformed. We become more like Jesus, not by struggling and striving and trying really hard. The moment Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he became natural Pete, as it were. Keep your eyes on Jesus.
beyond our understanding You're teaching us to trust Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood You're faithful
sorry, Sadie and Bailey. Those are my two older daughters who cannot stand Michael W. Smith. <laughs> but I not only like the guy, I love that song. Speaking of songs, my dad, the worship leader on Wednesday nights, he'll be bringing forth the word of God from the book of Isaiah. And you know why I'm excited about that? Not only because it's my dad and not only because it's the book of Isaiah, but he is entering into a section of Isaiah in chapter 6. That to me is one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible. So come on out. You'll enjoy the story of Isaiah chapter 6. Where Isaiah... Well, you have to come out. That's all I'm going to say. I know that that got you. <laughs> also, I have a, a, a website. Just saying, just saying. Uh, PeterJohnCorson.com. Just saying. If you want to check it out, the radio broadcasts are on it. I write small little articles. I promise you they're small. So it takes about 15 seconds to read. And yep, subject matter is God's grace. Check it out if you want. Other cool things on that website too that was put together for me. Um, without me even asking, what a blessing. But I love it. So check it out. Have you ever wondered, I bet you have not wondered, why a diamond, when, when you're shopping for a ring, remember that when you were shopping with your honey for a wedding ring if you're married? And that diamond is always exhibited on a, a black, dark canvas, right? The background is black behind it because even though that diamond is valuable and brilliant to whatever extent that luster is lost if it was an all white background and the grace of God shines the most brilliantly in our lives not in our strength but where we are least deserving. <laughs> the grace of God, the diamond of his grace, the gem of his grace is most brilliant. Not where we're white and clean and have our act together, but where things are dark and God still gives us grace. All we have to do is believe. I mean, the Apostle Paul was so 
in awe of this, tuned in to this, that he said, I would rather boast about my disqualifications and my weaknesses than give a listing of my qualifications. So when he was weak, when he was disqualified, as it were, that's when Paul says, I glory in these times. I rejoice in my disqualifications for the power of Christ is seen in me. And he writes in Romans, there is much more grace than there is sin. Now you might be listening to me and thinking, Pete, don't take advantage of grace. I bet there's someone listening that is feeling that. No hard feelings from me to you. I'm just, I'm assuming that there is somebody out there saying, thinking that guy takes advantage of grace. And I would say, absolutely. If we don't take advantage of God's grace, how can grace ever work for us? It's the devil that loves justice and demands justice for me. And it's God who loves grace and gives grace to me. And the beauty of it is, if I receive that grace with a authentic faith, I will keep God's commandments. I will walk in his ways. I will overcome temptation. That's the beauty. But even when I fail or you don't, the diamond shines on a dark canvas.
You know what was really entertaining when I was living in California was sometimes you would see, I'm not joking you, on the road there in Dana Point, you would see um, a car or a van or a Jeep or, or whatever, and there would be a rope attached to it. And then hanging on the rope would be some kid or dude that would be holding on to the rope riding his skateboard. And I always thought that was cool. Not I, I never wanted to do it, so it wasn't cool for me. But I hook on to grace. See, they would take this rope and they would hook it on or hold it or, or um, more often than hold it, they would hook it on around their belt. It was fun to watch. And I hook on that grace and it takes me further in keeping God's commandments. It allows me to walk in his ways. Like that skateboard in the car, I'm hooked on to God. And let me explain how. I'm hooked on to his faith. See, we're saved by grace through, literally, by the means of faith, literally, unto good works. You know that, right? But even that faith is a gift that comes from God, Ephesians 2 states. So even that faith, that rope that I have to, takes me places, that faith that I'm holding on to is a gift from God. That's how it works. Such grace. Peter, James, and John. A couple days ago, I stated what their names mean. I want to say it again. Peter's name means stone or rock, right? Stone. James, his name means replace. John, his name means grace. And it always gives us that order, doesn't it? Peter, James, and John. Why? Because if you put their names together, this is no coincidence in my opinion. The stone is replaced by grace. And they were part of that transition from the law of death into the law of grace. Here's another example of that. Remember when Moses, we talked about this yesterday a bit, but I didn't mention this, that when Moses came down the mountain and he was shining, right? It says that the people were fearful. They ran from him. 
when Jesus came down the mountain with Peter, James, and John, the stone being replaced by grace, the people didn't run away from him. They were not terrified. We read in Mark chapter 9 that the people ran to Jesus. <laughs> As he was shining. Remember there on the mount? There on that mount of transfiguration, as we call it, where he shined. That was when he came down the mountain. I believe he was still shining. But unlike Moses, where people were afraid and ran from him, Jesus' people were in wonder and ran to him. My point about Peter, James, and John, who came down that mountain with Jesus, don't look at your faith. Look at his faith. Don't always be taking inventory of your faith, but take inventory of his faith, his faithfulness. Because when my faith is weak, his faith is strong. Don't make the mistake, if you're listening, to have faith in your faith. Have faith in Jesus. He is faithful, full of faith. And that's why I sit here this morning on Wednesday and glorify his name.
God, Heavenly Father, I now pray for the person that is listening to this broadcast. I pray that you would reveal your son Jesus to this person's heart in a very beautiful, personal way that would be geared toward, Lord, even catered to their personality. Father, for the one who is listening, I pray your provision, your providence. I pray that they would have their needs met externally and within internally. I pray, O oh Father, that the love of Jesus Christ would abound within them and through them, and that the healing power of the Holy Spirit would do the same. For your glory, and in the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. I like the fact very much that Jesus gave us a prayer that is so beautiful and perfect. We call it the Lord's Prayer, right? And the fact is, it's about 45 seconds long. And when you look at Jesus, you find that he never had a problem with anyone praying too short. In fact, he took issue with people that prayed too long. <laughs> that is, not just praying long, but they prayed with insincerity and a fraudulent means. So he, when they asked, Lord, teach us to pray, he gave them one for 45 seconds. I'm not telling you to pray less. I'm telling you to pray more. All day long. Talking to him. The one who gave us a prayer that was 45 seconds long. <laughs> awesome. He can change your day and he will change your heart. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Come on out tonight. Join us 7 p.m. as we continue our Through the Bible study with John Corsi. If the Lord should tarry, I'll see you there. And then, bye.